Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. My name is Blythe Primley. I am your host. And before we dive into today's episode, Marketing versus Sales, I wanted to bring to light a few different things that have been going on in my world over the last few weeks. Some of them have been in the works for a few months now, while others are just, you know, sort of a new surprise and a new challenge all in the same breath. So the first one on the list is the new group on LinkedIn, the Ladies Leadership Coalition. Myself, along with five women from the logistics industry, are all getting together and we are hosting a monthly virtual mini event. And I don't want to, you know, sort of add to your to do list, but these women are really, really smart. A lot of them run their own logistics, all of them run their own business, and then each of them work in some capacity within the logistics industry. It's not going to be a logistics specific show, but we all run businesses within the logistics industry. So imagine that a couple of those, those, um, uh, that, that content is going to cross over, um, with the goal of the show being more or less focusing on our experiences and how that can help propel other women to start their own business and to possibly, if they're interested, join this world of logistics that we find ourselves in. So I'll link to that group page in the show notes. We have our first meetup this Wednesday. We're still finalizing the time, but I'll be sure to bring the best of content from that particular show and post it right here on all of my social channels and as well as the podcast feed. Now, the next one on the list, and in honor of Women's History Month, Tom Ogden. Thaler. And I don't know that I pronounced that correctly. I am sorry, Tom, if I did, but he has a great new series out on both LinkedIn and his website, The Influence Marketer. And I was really humbled to be listed on one of his top women in B2B marketing to follow on LinkedIn. Uh, for many of those, many of you who have listened to this podcast over the last, you know, few months, um, know that over the last year that I have really dived in heavy or dove in heavy, I guess I should say, into LinkedIn and posting there consistently. It's probably the platform that I post to the most, that and TikTok. So uh, for him to recognize this, it just, um, it, it's it's super humbling. And uh, there's so many other women on the list that, that deserve the praise as well. So I'm going to also link that in the show notes, but also be sure to give Tom a follow because he's always dropping some gems on influence their marketing, especially in this B2B space, which is only going to continue to grow. So the next one and the final one that I want to announce is I have a new show. It's called Cyberly and it appears Thursdays on FreightWaves.com and all of their different social media platforms at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every single Thursday. And Cyberly means to do things through the internet. And it's kind of a perfect hodgepodge for me of B2B marketing news, um, different topics, uh, tech topics, and how that all applies within the logistics industry. So think non-conventional, non-snooze fest, not to say that anybody else out there is a snooze fest when it comes to content, but a lot of the same stuff that you listen to on this show will make it over to that show as well. And now it's 
kind of announcing two new shows in the middle of this show, which I just launched this show. So I wanted to make sure that all of you who have started to follow along my journey, and I really, really appreciate that. Thank you for doing so. But this podcast isn't going anywhere. This is my baby. This is where I put the best of my work at um, when it comes to the website and you know any kind of interviews that I do on other shows. That will not change. And it just means that I'm doing more content out there and I can bring that educational content to you guys through this platform. So think of the best of like sort of a one-stop shop as far as this feed is concerned with all of the content that I'm doing out there, not just with Cyberly, not just with the Ladies Leadership Coalition, um, but also with with this show in particular, the, the, the fascinating people that I get the opportunity to speak with, the, the tips that I run, uh, the, the tips that I find out along the way, answering your questions, consulting calls, all of that good stuff. It's all going to still remain here. The only thing that will change is that I'll be publishing more frequently than just Monday mornings. So that's all good stuff happening in the works. I will have more information to you as soon as I can. A lot of things are still kind of in the works and still getting rolling. Uh, so I will have more behind the scenes sort of insight on that when I can share that with you. But the links that I can share are going to be all in the show notes. So be sure to check that out in addition to this week's topic. And now that I mentioned that, let's go ahead and dive into the marketing versus sales conversation. It's kind of a common internal rivalry, no matter the industry, but the companies who are building for the long haul recognize these two super teams are much more powerful when they come together to tackle one thing, and that's solve the problems of their audience. So Sonar sales rep Kyle Taylor is back with me to discuss the perks and annoyances between each side in order to help the overall goals of your organization. We're breaking down trusting the marketing department to be effective both short-term and long-term, why sales teams should get into the content game, effective communication tactics, and outdated strategies that gotta go. All this plus more on this week's episode. So let's not waste any more time. Here is Kyle Taylor with me. Well, thank you so much for joining. Um, I'm so happy to talk with you and happy to be able to have this conversation with you. I know we have a ton of topics that we kind of want to talk about today, but you come from the marketing side. At the end of the day, this is sales versus marketing. I've been in sales my whole career, specifically in transportation and technology and data. Um, you've been on the marketing side, kind of what's, what's, what's your focus point? What have you seen kind of work, not work, or just what's the flavor of this year that you're seeing on the marketing side? Oh, this year, I mean, especially compared to years past, I think it's marketing and, and logistics is frankly just about like solidifying the legitimacy of the position. Um, I yeah. think the majority of logistics companies don't even have a marketing department um, mm -hmm. or they're it's a lot like how I got started where I was an executive assistant who the boss found out that I was running a side blog and running my own website. And so he said, Hey, why don't you, you know, here are the keys to the kingdom. And why don't you mm -hmm. go ahead and do that same thing for us? Um, so that was more than 10 years ago. And so the strategies that I did back then, I'm seeing a lot of companies still doing the same things only because they're just discovering how important marketing is and changing their philosophy from a cold outreach to a, an educational inbound 
methodology. And so that's, I think, where a lot of the the, the transition has happened more recently. Um, mm-hmm. But even over the last year, is everything just like everything else? Marketing has been sort of been put on a fast track, and in some cases, it's really good that you're starting to see this traction take place. But then in other areas where we're, especially someone with this sales mind, they expect immediate results from different right. marketing initiatives. And that just doesn't happen if you do marketing the right way. Right. And they, I mean, marketing always seems to get attached to revenue really mm-hmm. quickly. And it's, they I always felt that the leaders that I worked for always wanted validation extremely quick, or there was this sort of misconception that like, oh, it's a marketing lead. It's not going to be what I would bring in or something of that nature. And, and it is changing because marketing five years ago when I was a broker was download this white paper or, hey, there was some sort of, of, of extremely published emails that like you open and you can clearly see that it's marketing, hmm. whether it be some sort of white background or, or something that just, just doesn't look authentic to where it is now, where there's so many different options we can play with SEO, you can play with LinkedIn, you can have your own personal brand, you can have companies doing blogs like what you're talking about, where they're just, you know, recording what they do and just pushing it out there. And hopefully people who are like-minded are find interest in that. It's it's one of those things, especially for marketing, is is we kind of have always worked in a silo. And when I have been put into positions where I'm taken out of that silo and I get the ability to talk directly with a customer or get to talk to or, or listen in on a sales meeting or listen in on a sales call, that's where I have personally found the most value. So that's where I see a, some things sort of making the transition. But then I, I still think that there is this... This bottleneck where it's going, it is marketing versus sales, and 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 sales takes that uh, they get a certain amount of leads right from the website or from a different campaign, and marketing hands them off, and they think that it's a really good a really good lead list, and that they should be working them, and then the sales gets them, and they're like, this is trash, this is not going to work for us. So it's yeah. how do you you sort of see that? that bridge being, being, uh, or, or that gap being filled per se. Yeah, it's tough. I, I, I'd like to think I'm lucky, um, that I work for freight waves mm-hmm. that has this massive media conglomerate as a part of its business, because we have had that, like, we all know what the goal is here. The goal isn't to just get a ton of views on our content and have a ton of clicks on our website. It's to pursue sonar revenue. Mm-hmm. And so same thing with trucking. It's not necessarily to have a bunch of people download this white paper. It's to push more loads, to get more revenue per year, to expand margins. And so it it does become, okay, well, how can we work together on a micro point of view? Because I've always felt like marketing was micro, like we're going to blast this to 500 people and see what we get back. And But the reason why sales have a lot of success with just the cold call is that they do have that personal touch or that feel like, mm-hmm. okay, I can kind of gauge who this person is and throw them out if I don't, if it doesn't mesh well, or just be like, okay, I can confirm that's who I should maintain next time. When you're- And that's tough. How, so, I guess in the, the sort of the cold calling world, do you see that still working in a post-COVID world? Um, I, so cold calls are never going to go away for sure. Hmm. Um, but 
it's I think it's become more of not why you should work with freight waves, but why you should work with Kyle hmm. and almost becoming marketing playing off of, all right, if I'm at a logistics company, what is John's book of business look like? What is that person's book of business look like? And what is that person's book of business look like? And then how can we create verticalized marketing campaigns around, okay, well, you seem to have a lot of retail customers. Well, we want you to continue to grow that. So how can we maybe create campaigns around the individual, Kyle, in order to push out campaigns that literally are just titled, maybe they come from my email, maybe you go, you, you're using HubSpot or whatever tools you're using in order to mass produce that. And then you have different messaging around it. And then it goes to the sales rep because that, that was what I, even at Mercury Gate, we utilized HubSpot for that reason. It would have my name at the bottom, but it was backsplashed with white. It didn't look like an actual email. Hmm. Um, to where we are now where I can just create campaigns on the fly if I want to. Is that what a typical, I, I guess, what, what does a typical tech stack look like for somebody that's in freight sales right now? Right. Oh, that's, uh, that's, oh man. So is it HubSpot? Is it Salesforce? Is it a combination of the two? So I can tell you what I have now. So what, what FreightWaves has, because, and they also value marketing that's the number one play here is that 90% of my pipeline is inbound leads. Hmm. So I do have to remember that, Hey, listen, what I have maybe isn't normal for everyone. Sure. Um, but we have Salesforce, we have HubSpot, we have um, HubSpot is actually siloed into like, I would say mass marketing. And then we have Gong for recording of demos since we do demos and so we record our calls uh, which is also integrated into salesforce then i have yesware which is a personalized i get it's like taking that hubspot to the individual hmm. which actually integrates into salesforce and into my gmail um, so that i can see opens clicks downloads and create that on the fly. And, and that yesware is probably my number one favorite thing because I can create a message really quick, create a template, create a campaign, import people from Salesforce that I may be working on, whether or not I have some sort of trickle, maybe it's close loss people that didn't work out and I just want to keep dripping them some information. I can do that all from my email and put it all out and I can see it all from there. And so that's probably my favorite thing I have. What is what does the messaging look like of what you're sending them? Are you what kinds of messages are you? Is it more like educational or is it more like, hey, we just re- released this new feature? Um, what does that look like all that you're above. sending them? Yeah, all the above. So I I've had a ton of success with education, mm-hmm. giving value without asking anything in return. And, and so because freight waves does have like a research team, but I'm even seeing transportation companies like arrive Schneider XPO, all these people that do put out like, Hey, here's our monthly market update. Hmm. Here's what we're seeing in the market from our own customer base and creating a white page downloadable document, and then giving that to like their sales reps and then their individual sales reps can be like, Hey, you may be having a lot of issues right now. Here's what we're seeing. Hmm. I hope this helps. Smart. And 
from that kind of strategy, just drip. I mean, it's I think it's that Gary V like jab, jab, right hook. Yeah. Where it's like value, value. All right, I'm going to ask for something. But it's like minimal content, like literally maybe two sentences, document. Continue to drip. Now, if I, because I, I fortunately, I'm going on a little bit of a tangent here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, go for um, it. Shoot. <laughs> um, uh, we have sales at FreightWaves.com, which is our big email address for just internal, but people get it from like Zoom info or our website. And so I see a ton of stuff that isn't necessarily meant for me that people send like their marketing campaigns and I will look at it and be like, I'm not opening that. I know exactly <laughs> what it is. So there is definitely a way of just like, how do I make this more human? Hmm. That's a good, that that's really good insight to have. And from, I guess, once you guys are getting those leads, what happens after that? Because we have on our on our, our our rundown is a list of like pet peeves. And when you were just talking about that, you know, taking a lead from one program and putting it into another, sometimes there can be a case where multiple people are working the same lead. Does that it, it, is there synchronization across multiple platforms to avoid that happening? Because that that's happened at companies that I've worked at at the past where one person is trying to work a Pepsi account and another person from within the same building because they don't use a CRM is working mm-hmm. the same contact. And they said, we're not going to do business with you because you don't even know what's going on inside your own building. And so that's where it, it I wonder how the majority of companies now are treating using all of these different tools. If there's room in there for improvement or if these, these sort of uh, conflicts still happen. They happen if you don't have a unified tech stack. So back Mm. to the tech stack question, like we use Salesforce and we abide by Salesforce Mm. and that's all we use. If it's not in Salesforce, it didn't exist. Gotcha. And, and so there's definitely some room for error or not error, but there's some gray area where, okay, maybe I didn't log some things or, but that's where it comes in the integration pieces as well. So that that's what Yesware does extremely well Mm. is, is including to is that I can type an email up just in my Gmail automatically logs it into Salesforce. I think you could also do that with like a BCC function within like your link of Salesforce. But, um, but yeah, it's you, the integrations is key. And then having to enforce the CRM is also key. Um, but there is issues when it comes to logistics companies acquiring people or, or, having branches that maybe have different rule sets. Hmm. And if if you have that, then you just have to understand that this problem can happen. And then any reason why you wouldn't use a tool like HubSpot for, for that kind of sales outreach? Or maybe HubSpot is more on the marketing side than the sales side? Yeah. I honestly, I don't know. Um, I've never actually used it. Hmm. Um, but I know at all the marketing teams that I've worked with, so at Blue Grace, at Mercury Gate, even here, they have used it, but on the like mass scale, Mm. like we are either going to really promote a webinar and we're going to track this all the way through, or maybe we're going to just acquire a lead list of 2000 people and run them through a six month campaign and be able to track things from there. Um, That's my perception of what it is. I felt like it's not as like tactical. But I could be completely wrong and just have a misconception about what it can do. Hmm. 
That's that's interesting because a, a bunch of companies that I I talk with their CRM if they even use one is HubSpot. Um, I think more on the tech side of things, people companies use more Salesforce. Um, mm-hmm. But then most companies or a lot of companies don't use anything at all. So I think that that's where a, a big gap also happens, especially within you know a building maybe with a growing brokerage that just doesn't it, they don't have any rules yet mm-hmm. and they don't have anything established like a, a an established sales plan or a, an outreach plan. And so that's where a lot of confusion starts coming in where, you know, one person or two people within the same building are working the same account and, and ultimately defeating their efforts for revenue. Yeah. Say it didn't happen when I was a broker would be wrong. Um, but it more or less happened with like branches who weren't on Salesforce. And, and so there was definitely some headaches that I ran into where, no, I I just quoted this guy, but this guy says he's been working it for two months, and I had no idea. Mm. Um, but I got the load, so technically that should go to me. And now my now the managers are getting involved to see whose whose truth is correct. Um, huh. So yeah, that's it's, interesting. It's tough. You got to have the right language, and you got to have the right system that tracks it all. So, do you have any favorite marketing campaigns that you've seen? My favorite marketing campaign is the one that I create myself. <laughs> good, good answer. Uh, yeah. Um, just in the, just because to that point, like I have verticalized approaches to the people I reach out to. I reach out to certain people for specific reasons. And um, I also want to have a little bit more control. And that's where Yesware comes into things. And, but not everyone gets it. So even if it's just like creating templates or very short and sweet. It's not like, hey, I'm Kyle. I'm a professional. Freightwaves is is the biggest company for this reason, and this is why you should use them. and And they're super cool. And it's it's more like I'm creating my own brand with my campaigns. That's mm. why I like mine so much because I can say, hey, I was on with Sonar last week, which is something that I created at so at Freightwaves that was talking about this issue, thought you'd be interested. Hey, there's this research document that our team just released. Here's something I thought you might be interesting. Um, you know, the snow just completely just ruined the trucking industry about a month ago, and we're still feeling the effects of this, so I'm sure you're feeling that. So that's, that was, that's always my approach, is to be like, I don't want to be the salesman. I just want to provide value. Hmm. And I feel like the people I talk to resonate with that. Smart. It's not asking me for anything. Okay, maybe I'll and and it's just a research document. So like, you, but yes, where does or whatever HubSpot does too. So like, whatever it is, I like the link aspect of it because then you can at least track the the click rates and the opens from there. And just seeing if it resonates with and how I guess. If you see like a particular campaign performing well, does that get communicated to marketing or are they kind of operating in a silo? Yeah, it gets community. I mean, so I guess additionally to our tech stack, we have um, what's we have Slack. <laughs> and so that we do have uh, channels within Slack that we portray and we and us here at Freightwaves, we be, we're like email bandits here because <laughs> we we just we call them value added emails because within sales cycles, we'll, there's things that you for us we're a data provider, so we just want to showcase like, hey, if you knew this at this point, you could have made that decision. Hmm. And and so similarly with like trucking industry, so people within the trucking industry, if you had something where like, hey, on this day we started our team started noticing this, we wrote this document. Here's what 
working with me because I'm unique as a person and why I know I'm the professional, I know the industry, I'm here to save you money, um, and, and be able to provide those insights and actual tangible data sets, not just like, I'm Kyle and I have this big book of carrier lists. Hmm. Like, um, I think it, it's becoming more of like, what can you provide me objectively? Hmm. That's smart. And I think that that's also a, a big wave coming through with a lot of the, the strategies of how people are promoting themselves, especially on LinkedIn. Yeah. I mean, it's been a crazy to watch the growth of, you know, just logistics media personalities over the last year. Right. No, exactly. And it's, it's such an open form. And so I think there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of discrepancies around like, well, luckily I work from home, but it would be definitely unique in the office if, you know, people around me see me recording just at my desk, mm. um, which I did at when we were working from the office. But if you, I can't, I can't imagine being on like a 300 person brokerage floor and I'm trying to record something or something of that nature. People have this misconception where everyone's got a little camera in their computer. They can easily send out a quick little video and just be like, hey, here's here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm doing to make sure that you're successful. That's interesting. Um, so how do you even, if you're on a brokerage floor, how do you even try to uh, use that tactic of recording? Because that's what I've been telling other companies to do, especially from a marketing perspective. So this is why we're, it's great to have conversations like this because you don't even really think about, okay, well, a brokerage floor is normally noisy, lots mm -hmm. of cursing, um, yelling back and forth from department to department. So how can you actually record a quality video on a brokerage floor? I, so to your point, you you described like the boiler room, and which is that like we're smoking cigarettes, people are cursing, <laughs> we're we're pick, we're hammering the phones, it's loud as hell. There's people everywhere, and it could almost be. There's obviously times that okay, when can I record? You know, lunchtime, maybe right in the morning, maybe late late afternoon. Those hot spots between like ten to noon are obviously going to be high. <laughs> call times mm -hmm. and then like one to three is going to be really high call time. So I'm sure you can navigate around when it could be quieter in the office, which can also be another value because then you can actually showcase like, Hey, that's my carrier sales team. I have a network mm -hmm. of there's 50 people back here that all they do is call carriers. And so that's, you know, that's the value that I provide. And maybe, Hey, my office looks professional. Or, you know, something, you know, I'm collaborative with my team around me. My two dogs, they, they kill it every day. You know, they're, they're hard not, at work right now. Yeah, they don't normally just sleep all day every day. But when, but when they do their work, it's, it's, it's productive. So it could be something along that, like, like that. Hmm. And, and now that we're all working from home and Zooming, it's, it's almost like, okay, well, we want, there's more, it's more personal now than it has been previously. And I wonder how that transitions when, because I know that a lot of companies, especially brokerages, have gone back to the office. So I wonder how they can sort of accommodate for that transition to keep that personalization in mm -hmm. in in mind whenever people are doing sales and and you know actively out there trying to talk to customers. Um, 
I, I just one of my clients that I work with, uh, BCP Transport, they just started up a in studio. So they took an old office and they turned it into a studio and now they're doing safety updates. So I wonder wow. if there are they're doing it daily, too. And it's amazing to watch because the CEO is involved. Their safety director is involved. Um, their HR person is involved. Um, so they're really incorporating the the day to day life with what their their brand messaging of what they're all about and they just used an, they took an old office and did it so I wonder if there are some synergies there for some brokerage offices out there or even some some carriers out there that if they just take a little space and carve it out maybe a closet or something um, and allow right. that space for their teams to go in and and have those those intimate phone calls with someone um, especially ones yeah. that they're trying to do business. Yeah, I think there's there's two to it. I mean, there's two pieces to that. So I, there's definitely, you got to be able to be in a quiet place. But at the same time, you don't have to be as structured or as rigid as some may think. Hmm. Um, to put into perspective, Freight Waves, all the video content that we put out, everyone knows the what the trucks. Um, up till about two years ago, about a year and a half ago, actually. That was all recorded on a GoPro. Oh, wow. And and so, like, the fact that, you know, you don't need to have such a big upfront investment in order to do this is big. And then I think it's also providing a culture that shows, like, anyone can do anything. And that's where I, I love what I do because I was selling sonar and then they're like, "Hey, you, you kind of, you, you're, you're outgoing. You want to do this video mm-hmm. today?" And I'm like, I, "Yeah, sure, I guess so." <laughs> um, and so I do it, and then I haven't left it yet. Mm. And so it, and then we've incorporated more people in the sales team. So I think if you're, if you create a culture that allows people to create their own brand, um, that definitely will just will provide just more insights into the marketing side of things. And I think that so I feel like you would get more people to play with. If you had more people to talk to, more people to bring in, now you can create so many different campaigns and strategies in different areas that now you can you can have limitless opportunities. Do you see that sticking around after, you know, people start more and more companies start going back into the office? I think so. But at the same time, I don't think a lot of uh, brokerages have a culture like that. Hmm where the individual it can create some sort of brand without feeling they need to go get approval from their marketing team to create, hey, I'm going to do a, an update on LinkedIn and and start doing, you know, at least I haven't seen it within my network, hmm. um, but only few people have done it to the people that are in our circle that we've seen. So do, do you find that, that's, that, that the marketing department is more of like the stopgap? They want to control certain pieces that they believe are marketing? No, I w- everyone in marketing who I've talked to has always been very open-minded, very progressive, hmm. very open for really anything. I feel like whoever the marketing team reports to is usually the person that is your most fearful of. Hmm. Um, so, and if they're, I mean, if you're not used to talking to your chief revenue officer or your C-level of whatever, whoever marketing, and hopefully maybe the marketing team directly reports to the CEO, that would be great. Um, but if it's not in that kind of culture of, okay, well, marketing's tied to revenue and revenue wants me to just cold call, like 
then you're not you're going to be so scared just to record your first video that you're going to be stuck you're going to fail before you even start. And that that's also a sort of a gripe that I have is when marketing is directly tied to revenue. I think that as a marketer you should know what drives revenue, but if you're wholly tied to the eventual outcome, it doesn't allow you the flexibility to experiment, to try out different messaging and to try out different campaigns, um, to try out new mediums, to try out new social media networks. It doesn't allow you that creativity because two months from now, if you're revenue driven, you're going to say, well, how is that new podcast performing? How many leads did we get from it? And it's like, no, these things take time to build. And if you have someone, especially an executive team that is strictly tied to revenue, they're not going to allow that marketing person the time to breathe that they need to to be able to be creative. I still think from a marketing perspective, you need to sit in on different meetings. You need to sit in with sales teams. You need to sit in with ideally every single department within your company so you understand what drives their decisions. And then that way, you can create messaging around that of what your company believes in, what they strive to do, and the real conversations right. that sales are having every single day with potential customers. Yeah, and sales has this perception of like what marketing even does so that even, because even my early emails that I would send out to, and when I say mass, like mass meaning like 10, 20 people, um, it you feel like you have to provide this and you go and Google it, like what are good marketing templates? And it's always like, here's what I do. Here's the solution. Here's how I can provide it. Here's the data set. And then there's a call to action. (laughs) And to the point where like you can be so creative around that and salespeople have such a good opportunity because they can just pivot on the fly. Hmm. That's why I like my own personal campaigns. Things aren't working. I can delete it. Hmm. I can start something new. Um, without making it a, a huge like, oh, well, we there's 2,000 people in that campaign, Kyle. We can't just stop it. Hmm. Um, there's there's definitely an approach of if you can take the macro marketing perspective and make it small and make it to the to the rep who's doing the hundred cold calls. That's that's where I've seen my success. Hmm. That's interesting. And I love it, especially from just a, a content perspective. Because you don't even you don't know what's going to work until you actually execute it. But you also need to have, uh, from a marketing perspective, you need to have that that built in research, and and you only get that built in research by having those conversations or sitting in with those calls. I, I remember when I was um, editor in chief of a magazine, we had a very stark difference between the editorial department and the sales department, and our magazine changed for the better, both content wise and sales wise when we started sitting in on the sales meetings because then they mm-hmm. understood what content is coming in the pipeline and then we understood who they're trying to sell to and then it created that better understanding between the two sides of the coin and then that way you can help even the clients that are that are coming through and they want to maybe create an advertorial or a, a you know a sponsored post or something like that from an editorial side, we can create that much better than any salesperson could do because then it, it, it's going to sound salesy if a salesperson is trying to do it versus a marketing person who's almost trained to look for the story and to look for that understanding. Right. And I mean, there's a sales is becoming a very hybrid focused role and meaning like you are the marketer. Hmm. I mean, salespeople need to think about that. You are marketing. Because from a brokerage perspective, you're calling 100 people a day, 
trying to entice them into working with you, and then developing a relationship over time that you hope can provide a business relationship. And if you take that persona of like, okay, I'm not a salesperson, I'm more marketing my team or my company, I think it allows you to be more creative. Um, and then at the same time, if you, if, you're fo- if you truly focus on your messaging as a sales rep, it is gonna slow down your reps. Hmm. That, that's 100% true. So that's where you come into the culture of like, okay, 100% cold calls. Okay, well, if I'm doing a bunch of, a bunch of customization for these campaigns or emails or styles of companies I'm trying to reach out to, that may slow down the repetitions you can do. But I feel like it just it will provide the person so much more value and the recipient that more value, hopefully, to bring that relationship on um, than if you're just blasting out generic stuff to everyone. Hmm. You mentioned earlier about cold calling will never go away in this industry. If you were to go to a brokerage and say, we're not going to do any cold calling, do you think that that would be feasible? And how would you make that happen? Well, I guess you can, I would probably have to redefine what cold calling is Hmm. then. Um, Because then it would become warm outreach. (laughs) So cold calling does it right. Like I just literally just give it a different, term. right? <laughs> uh, like, because then you start having, okay, I've been trickling information to this person. They've had a lot of great feedback, but they haven't responded to the email. I'm going to give them a call. Hmm. I think that's the perfect setup for the cold call or for the outreach. When you do get to see, okay, these people are opening it. Let me just check in. And I, and and it's, it's really tough out there for brokerages. So you do have to, you know, you have to kind of balance between both. So that's where if I was to, though, to answer your question, to create a zero call game, I would hope my technology is there to back me up <laughs> because it, I would I would want the entire culture of the company to be like zero touch. So like. I would have to make sure my track and trace is there. I'd have to make sure we, hmm. we talked about like auto, like automating load boards. Well, if I'm going to do a zero touch them, I want them to be able to click on something that I emailed and be able to, to put their loads in and be able to execute on those loads without actually ever touching me. And then also being able to showcase that this is going to provide you more value day to day by just using us. So that's where it does become difficult to do. And why cold calling? I don't think because I, I I feel like with a lot of I guess the workforce, especially when it comes to like entry level brokers that are you know just coming out of college, maybe they just got their degree, and so the first thing that's probably going to happen, at least in my experience, is they're just going to be thrown in front of a couple phones. Uh, you know, they got their monitors, and they're just going to be given you know the the cold leads that haven't been you know contacted in a year. And they're just going to be said, hit those books and start calling all of these companies. I think with a lot of especially like the millennial generation and the even like Gen Z that's coming up through now, for a lot of them, they don't want to do cold calls. So how do you build a modern brokerage around somebody that wants to at least know a little bit more about a company before they they reach out to them? So maybe that is sort of a hybrid model of what you were just talking about, where it's more of a, a warm outreach, where you you build some email campaigns and hope and roll the dice and see if it's going to work um, mm-hmm. and then take it from there. Because especially from like a buying perspective, like buyers in the B2B world have more information 
than ever. And they have it right at their fingertips. So if they're looking to buy something or they're looking to do business with somebody, they're doing all the research ahead of time before they ever pick up the phone and call you. Or they, a lot of times they don't even want to speak to a sales rep before they're ready to buy. And I think that's where a lot of miscommunication comes from, especially when a pain point of mine is like ebook downloads and companies that are so driven to just do ebook downloads and spend thousands of dollars on these things that people are just looking for information and they want to have the information right now. They don't want to buy right now. And so I wonder if yeah. that is, that methodology has just been sped up from the last year of everybody working from home where they're able to do this research on their own. They don't necessarily want somebody cold calling them. So is there a different, maybe better way to reach them before they're ready to do business. And I think that that's where marketing can learn a lot by just working with sales and figuring out what type of problems that their, their, that their customers or potential customers are facing on the phone first. Yeah. I mean, I think that all, all fingers will point to LinkedIn after that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you want this hybrid approach. You want to be able to kind of keep in touch with people without actually giving them a call. I think LinkedIn is probably the best thing for that mm -hmm. because at least you can uh, develop a strategy around a certain persona or if you know my favorite thing to do is to just troll not troll but just to like um go through people's connections <laughs> like and that's one strategy that i've been that i've been working on is like okay who are who are the powerhouses in this industry who are known as the market experts who are the people you know is it you know, is it, uh, uh, you know, Dooner? Is it someone from FreightWaves? Is it someone from academia? Is it some someone from some of the other technology platforms? Like, who do these people follow? And I think people forget that, like, you can actually go on to LinkedIn, look that person's profile, check out their connections, and then just search and filter by companies. Hmm. And I, I did, I started doing that <laughs> and because there, there's a gentleman who's from academia who's like, he's so ingrained with everything and I don't want to give away all my secrets, <laughs> but like, I just went on there and just started searching, you know, all the top companies that I know. And I was like, oh, well, there's three people there that work at that company that is connected with this. Company. Hmm. I want to build my network around that. So all that to say, in order to do that, you need to build your community first. True. And how are you, I guess, from a LinkedIn perspective, what are you, what does it matter, I guess, who who is connected with that? Are you trying to reach that additional company? Or are you trying to make contact with that particular person? And you're going to use the other company to interact with them. So then maybe they see more of your work. Is that how I'm connecting those dots? It's I take it almost as like, an updated zoom info list mm. or an updated lead list, like them being connected with them just confirms that that sh is the person I should be reaching out to. Um, obviously de depending on the title, but the fact that they are connected together uh, should scream or should indicate a, okay, this is at least someone who I should reach out to. And, and then from there I can develop my own kind of strategy around how I reach out to them. Um, but I, cause that's the hardest thing you do a hundred calls. You want to try to make every call as impactful as possible sure. and you want to make sure that you're calling the right people. I mean, how often as a brokerage do you call someone and it's like the wrong number <laughs> or, or you have to work your way up through like the gatekeeper and, and do something like that. Whereas LinkedIn, you can kind of figure it out exactly who you need to be talking to. 
Smart. That's cool. I, I didn't even really think about that because anytime I get are, now, are you connecting with them off of LinkedIn? Or are you sending them a, a LinkedIn in mail? I am not. I will. I, <laughs> I will. I will never. I, I vow to never in mail anyone because COVID <laughs> has exposed something. And there was a lot of people who threw a ton of marketing dollars at in mail <laughs> because the amount of in mail that Kyle, <laughs> who's just a sonar account executive, receives from people who are like, Hey, I want to haul some of your freight. And I'm like, I just fell into the wrong tier or category and this doesn't apply to me. Um, so I feel like there's a lot more damage that InMail does mm. than good. Because as oh, do you think that what is the cheesiest sales tool that you see going on or sales tactic that you see going on right now? Because um, I, would, I would put InMail up there. As far as like cheesy, it's I, I won't even respond if I get an in mail. It's very well. I take that back. I did respond to someone the other day, uh, but they had a very genuine message and they weren't trying to sell me anything. Um, I don't know right. why it came up as an in mail instead of just a direct message. Um, but I immediately thought that it was spam and just happened to open it. Um, I think back to what I brought up earlier. Um, if you're reaching out to like a marketing at company.com or sales at company.com, mm-hmm. like a very generic team email, you're failing because like quite obvious, like you one, even on, if you're trying to automate the email to say like, okay, Hey, here's a little algorithm for putting first name in there. Um, you can't do that with that. And so many times I've seen emails come through where it says, Hey sales. <laughs> and it's like, all right, cool. Well, we know exactly what this is. Right. <laughs> so that would, I would put that up there with the same thing. Um, I think email, uh, in mail is probably worse because you just know so many people are getting in. Hmm. And there's more often than not, I get in mails that just don't, they don't, they're not what I do. You're not looking they're, for a web developer to outsource your IT talent. No. Correct. <laughs> yeah. You're not. Yeah. And it's, I get a lot of them that are like, hey, we want to haul your freight too. And it's like, do you, you don't know anything about right. this. Right. <laughs> you didn't even check the website, the simplest things to do. And, you know, yep. take that last part of the, the email domain in order to go and check the website to see what they do. The absolute minimal effort. Right. I mean, it's the whole Zoom. I mean, I have Zoom info as well. So the company provides me to Zoom info. And I have done that before, before where like I sent, I created a mass, like 300 recipients and I screwed up the little algorithm piece for the first name and it ended up all saying like bracket, oh, no. uh, exclamation point, first name, comma, exclamation. And I just messed up the end piece and 300 people got, hey, first name. And <laughs> so there's definitely, you got to be cautious about it. But um, my favorite is I always put in my, I always just use lowercase in general for a lot of the stuff I fill out online. So if I get an email that says, Hey, first name and the first name is lowercase. And I know that it's automated or caps. There's a lot of people who fill out like um, demo requests with us. And for some reason they just have this habit of like apps, first name, last name, company name. (laughs) They're used to yelling all day. Yeah. I'm like, why is your computer on caps? Like, why do you have caps on your, on your keyboard on? But, but yeah, no, but you're completely accurate. Those are quick signs to identify whether or not it's going to be genuine or if it's going to be very 
marketing driven. Because it's it's tough for marketers too. Because you're in your sale, you're in your tools. Say like a Mailchimp, for example, it will give me a recommendation that says you should put the first name in the subject line. Because studies show that people will open it if their first name is in the subject line. And then you do that, and you don't have the emails forwarded formatted correctly, or the person who input their own name didn't spell their own name correctly or capitalize it properly. Um, so there's all those different. I just try to avoid first names altogether unless I'm sending a super personalized direct one-on-one message otherwise i just skip the i'll just say hey (laughs) or just a random like i thought you would enjoy this or something like that um it's tough though from the content side of things because you don't want to annoy your audience um so that's the the majority of the i guess the messaging that i send out is hey this is a new piece of content thought you might enjoy it just try to keep it super general but I mean, if you if you're generalizing, then you're probably going to get the same results in the end as a general results. Right. Yeah, and and being in marketing, you report to someone high up, so you also have this. I want to make it as professional as possible, and there are times where maybe you make it too professional. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think about that? Like, it's that's my biggest pet peeve is when it looks too professional. Yes. I think that uh, for a lot of companies, especially when they're promoting themselves on LinkedIn, they don't want to have a personality. And that is at the root of it. Even though it's B2B marketing, you still are talking to a person. You're still trying to sell and get your message out and get the attention of a person. So have fun with right. it. Like you, right. I think Dooner does a great job of, of humanizing marketing and content, especially in the logistics space for, uh, you know, a lot of his messaging. He he uses memes. He's caught up on, you know, trends and participates in them, you know, on, on social media. And, and then he's using that in his messaging. So it's almost like he's bringing in that water cooler conversation and putting it into, you know, digital messaging, which I think is great. Um, but a lot of companies are just so rigid and they want to fact check every single sentence and every word and and send out a giant press release. I'm like, nobody cares about your press release. I <laughs> promise you. Um, but on the other, on the flip side of it, have a little fun with a new announcement. If you add a new line of a, a new lane or a new service offering, or you're you're starting to really hone in on a certain commodity, have some fun with it and, and be able to share the educational part without having to sound just so corporate and boring. Right. No, and I, that's where if I think you do silo thing, I think if you could, you can split up marketing into like company marketing and sales marketing because brokerages, I think undervalue the amount of touches that a salesperson can get in a day. And so to set them up with like, Hey, here's a good, and that's where I'm seeing things happen. And watch, in a couple of months, it's going to be out the door of just how many people are doing this. But those like market updates, or hmm. like, hey, here's what's going on in the industry, industry knowledge. And, and so here's, and that's what I would be using as a, a broker is sending out either videos or just if I could work with my marketing team on like market updates. Hey, here are the impacts of the snow. Here's what's already what we're even seeing. If my team would allow me to like take screenshots even of like my TMS or of something to be, and that's why people come to Sonar is because they do like taking screenshots of the charts and of the widgets so that they can at least validate. Hey, here's why 
we are making these decisions or here's why you should start working with us because we are we are so in tune with what's happening that we're going to be we're going to let you know before it even happens and so that's what i would be using it, it, do you think that that's one of the more utilized tools that or or one of the more underutilized tools that that more brokerages should be using 100% broker i mean you're a professional logistics provider that's what you are so don't rely on like a white page to be like, look, we worked with Kraft Heinz and here's what we were able to provide with them. But at the same time, there's as there's only a couple Kraft Heinz. There's a bunch of people who have less than a million in transportation spend. Mm. And so how are they going to feel? To, are they going to relate? Oh, well, I'm not Kraft Heinz. I don't have, you know, 10,000 lanes. I have, I maybe ship once or twice a week. Mm. So it's like, how can I give that small person the same value that I could give to that large person? I think if you just categorize it as like a market, like, hey, snow just hit Chicago. Uh, Denver Airport was was grounded yesterday. Like, that's what I would be capitalizing on. Could be even like the the president. Like, it's just being so in tune with what's happening. You could easily send like research documents. Hmm. That would probably be what I would be doing. Or not research documents, but like links to research or links to to some sort of content and being like, hey, this is what's going on. Check out this. And I thought that you'd find it useful. And that's it. Are you, when you are figuring out who to target, are you using certain markets like that by a city or by a commodity or um, maybe by type of truck? Like how are you segmenting those users that you're targeting? Just like, just like how you said, what's the, it's almost like what the flavor of days uh, I'll scroll through LinkedIn. Like when I get up in the morning and kind of see like what's kind of happening, I'll, I'll of course go to freightwaves.com and see kind of like what articles or what's new in the industry, anything happened, anyone, you know, go under yet. Is any company been traded? Like, I shouldn't laugh you know, at things that. Of that <laughs> I've been a part of that process. It's not yeah. fun. <laughs> and, and so like things like that, where you can just keep people like in tune with what's hmm. happening. I think is the best part. And that's something that I never did at a brokerage. And it was really tough. I struggled trying just, why Why will you work with me? Hmm. And I was always like, look how cool we are. And then I started selling TMS and I realized, oh, every brokerage says the same thing that I was saying. Hmm. Like, I have access to 500,000 trucks. I have this, I have that. And I have technology. It's like, all right, well, we all have that. Now, what makes you different? And how do you create that message? I, it depends, depends on what I'm sending. So I like sending, so Freightways has a research team. So let's just say I work at a brokerage and hopefully we do like a market update, like a monthly market update, which I'm seeing a lot of across the industry people are doing. I would just, I would, I would kind of verticalize it. And depending on who I'm sending it to, let's say I'm sending it to shippers who are like, let's say less than a million in transportation spend. I would want to, I would want to be tell, be telling them, hey, if you're not, if you're shipping something out, you'd either need to ship it now or you need to push out your lead time till this storm falls through. Mm. Um, if it's maybe some of these more mid-sized people, it's like, hey, I check your route guides. I would make sure that your primary tenders, so your one, two, and threes, are are all lined up. If not, reach out to me. I'd be happy to help. Um, you know, things like that because disruptions happening almost every other month. Sure. I mean, we're still feeling the effects from the snow that happened a month ago, mm-hmm. which we never would have thought that would, I mean, it was a month ago. I mean, some people were saying that Houston got hit 
hard, the infrastructure got hit harder during the snow than it did for that hurricane that happened. Oh, wow. Like six Harvey, I think. Yeah. And, and so to put that in perspective, like, holy crap, that, I heard that this morning and I was like, I didn't know hmm. that. That's huge. Well, I'm going to reach out to all of the Houston people and, <laughs> and, and start, you know, developing that message. True. You need to rely on like that connection between like what you and your people around you are talking about and then just smart, try to make it as simple as possible. And how, so you're, you talk about going through, you, you know, lead outreach and, and looking at market conditions and then adjusting your messaging on the fly. How are you communicating and are you communicating that to the marketing team? Yeah, that's where it just comes back to like, what culture are you providing at your company? Mm -hmm. So like, I really value my emails and I want, and I want to make sure my team understands, it's almost like me gloating. Let's be real. I'm like almost just trying to show how good I am sometimes <laughs> with like some of those emails, like some of them that I get a lot of really good feedback on. Yeah. I want to tell my team. So like I'll, I'll sit. So luckily within yes, where we can share it with the team mm -hmm. so I can have my entire account executive team. Uh, be able to take what I, hey, I had a lot of success with this. You guys, take the template and you can use it on your own. Um, so we have that. And then same thing with marketing. And marketing, to your point, is in on every conversation. Mm -hmm. our, our head of marketing is on every end-of-day sales call we have. So that it gives him a b ability to hear like, okay, what success did the sales team have? Why did they have success? Okay, how can we develop messaging around that? Smart. And then we have an own internal blog that we write. And it's usually just around the successes that the, the sales team has or the category of the success that the sales team has. That's smart. So you guys have an internal blog that nobody else sees except for FreightWaves employees. Um, no, it's open to everyone. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And some of our account executives actually write some of the blogs. So it becomes, you know, how much is your marketing team really incorporating the salespeople that you can lean on them for content? Hmm. And, and that's been extremely helpful. Yeah, that's a lot of, that's really good insight because then that just creates a greater transparency, transparency of, of what it, both sides are looking for. And I think that that's sort of the, been the crux of, or the, the crux of why we wanted to have this conversation, you know, marketing versus sales. It doesn't have to be versus anymore. Mm -hmm. you, you need to be collaborative. Otherwise, I don't think that as a company, you're going to survive for very long. You can definitely survive, but yeah, you're going to, you, you're going to run through a lot of walls. Hmm. You can make things a lot easier on yourself if you do collaborate more than probably what happens now. Do you think that what's, uh, what are some tactics that marketing does that you think are absolutely worthless? That's a great question. Um, so like maybe... Uh, obviously not email because you just said that you know, how you know important email is, but maybe like um, SEO or um... SEO is good. So I like SEO a lot. Um, obviously, if you, I mean, I would, if I was running a brokerage, I would want SEO. Anytime someone tries to search any kind of logistics, of course, I want my name to come right to the top. Hmm. Um, well, maybe it's, certain social media sites or. I think what you brought up, which is like, how they manage social media sites, how they, it's like, it's like XYZ logistics company is like its own person instead of, and, and you get that feeling of like, that's not exactly who you are. Hmm. That's not a person. That's a company. And, and so that's where, that's probably my biggest pet peeve that I've seen from companies that companies have is that they don't like, they don't put their employees on the pedestal. It's always like the logo of the company or like, the, uh, a milestone of the company. It's not like 
hey, yeah, we just hit $10 million in revenue. Okay, well, who got you there? Hmm. You know, why did you hit that? Like, is it because Jerry just brought on like a $2 million account? Well, yeah. Well, why did, you know, maybe that's a great thing for marketing. Hey, have Jerry on. Jerry, what? <laughs> why was that successful? And to have like a known, like a blog like that or a, a uh, to have a podcast, like, and to be able to say like, yeah, this is why we work together. Hmm. That's it. And so good. That's, that, that's good to know that SEO is still valuable because I see a lot of I, I see a lot of traction with it, especially if it's more of phrases that are buying intent. Um, mm-hmm. That's obviously that that's never going to go away. But I do think that from a marketing perspective, SEO gets a lot more credit than it deserves. Um, because what happens is, you know, somebody is seeing a message, maybe they see an advertisement, um, they're seeing that messaging consistently. And when they're ready to buy, they just Google the company. And so when it comes through on an analytics report, it says, oh, well, this person came through on Google search. So we're going to, we're going to spend a ton of money and we're going to invest a ton of money into organic SEO. And then we're just going to cut out the podcast. We're going to cut out the blog. Um, and then everything else is going to be SEO driven. And then your sales plummet. And it's like, well, what happened? And it's like, well, you cut out the things that were working, that were driving that awareness. And then when the mm-hmm. customer was actually ready to buy, they went to Google and just Google searched your name. And then they they went through the buying process. So I think Google gets a lot more credit than it deserves. But on the flip mm-hmm. side, it does still provide a ton of value because it's an intent-based platform. Whereas, you know, yeah. social media is more of just an awareness type platform where you're trying to capture that attention where with Google, they're trying to solve a direct problem. Right. No, ex- exactly. But it's hard to track that mm-hmm. conversion from like, okay, they were reading an article to now they were searching for my company. And so that's where, because people can't track it, they can't really manage it too much. And that's why I can see people just putting it on the chopping block. And that's where a lot of conflict happens from the marketing side of things, because you have to be able to give yourself that traction or that 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 traction and that uh, runway uh, to let your messaging sink in. And so that mm-hmm. can't happen for a lot of companies. They say you start a podcast, you're probably not going to see any kind of ROI or how we define it as ROI until like eight months from now eight to 12 months. Um, so it could right. be a long time before you see anything come out of that. But from a lot of companies that are direct sales driven, that they want to see the attribution, they're going to see that a podcast isn't working and cut it after three months when that's probably when it's going to start gaining steam is after that three months of consistency. Exactly. No, no doubt. Well, thank you so much for Having this, I mean, there's so many different ways and I really hope. (laughs) I think uh, I had a million more questions in order to ask. Well, maybe we'll have a part two or part five. We'll have to, we'll have to continue this conversation. I remember the last one. So that last one was just the introduction to this. And so I'm glad we got to come back together and and have this conversation. Definitely. You you helped me clear some, some hidden things that are going on up here, trying to help other companies with with their, with their sales process. So thank you for that. And thank you for your time. Yeah, no problem. Have a great day. You too.